Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we look back at the big news of the week with three of Washington's top political reporters. Well, we're down to the home stretch now in the 2020 campaign, and campaign developments again dominated the news from Washington this week. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden back on the road with Trump holding a daily campaign rally and Biden smaller, safer events, all of them in key battleground states. A canceled second presidential debate was replaced last night by two competing town halls between rival candidates on rival networks. Meanwhile, Amy Coney Barrett sailed through confirmation hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. And despite Donald Trump's promise that it was disappearing, the coronavirus spiked as part of a fall surge with eight states yesterday reporting the highest number of cases since March. Here to help us make some sense of this busy week, Amanda Becker, national political reporter for 19th News. Hi, Amanda. Hello. John Bennett, White House correspondent for The Independent. Hello, John. Hello, Bill. And Matt Gertz joining us again, senior fellow from Media Matters for America. Hey, Matt, good to see you. Morning, Bill. All right. Well, let's start with uh, last night's town halls. Probably like you, I was flipping back and forth between ABC and NBC. The big news seemed to be uh, Savannah Guthrie trying to get Donald Trump to um, condemn QAnon, uh, as he had earlier said, he condemned white supremacy. Uh, Donald Trump, for some reason, won't go there. Here's that little exchange. Let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia. They fight it very hard. So, Amanda, he doesn't know anything about them, but he knows all about they fight hard against pedophilia. What's this I- all about? I mean, I guess that shows that the QAnon tactics are working, I guess, even on the White House, because that's what they do. You know, they use the Save the Children hashtag, and it reels a lot of people in. Um, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have been told by advisors or other people that there's more to this um, movement, I guess, if we're going to come up with a word for it, Um, because it's kind of like this loose network of every conspiracy theory under the sun at this point. Um, But, you know, I, I, I feel like someone has to have said something to him about it at this point, one of his advisors, but he, uh, you know, his answer last night was that he doesn't, you know, really know any of that stuff about them. I guess he has never Googled. Well, but John, he talks about them a lot. He talks about them. He talks about uh, not necessarily Proud Boys, but he certainly talks about Antifa, about these fringe groups. Are are we to believe he really never heard of them? No, I don't think we are. Uh, I thought Savannah did uh, an amazing job last night. I I thought she was the the star of the night on both halls. Agreed. um, You know, there was no... Um, there, there was no real flaw in what she did. The, the one question that I thought she could have asked him there uh, was, well, well, sir, why haven't you had your staff bring you a one-page summary or brief you uh, on, on what QAnon is? So, you know, it, it, we could have gotten a little more detail, uh, detail on 
why he hasn't asked, uh, why he isn't more curious about this, but I don't think there's any, there's any doubt that he knows exactly what the group is. Um, you know, we've seen him do this before with, with the white supremacist groups. Um, if, if he thinks it will at all upset his base or, or parts of his base, then he's not going to easily uh, denounce anything. And for, for, for some reason, he clearly thinks this might offend part of his base. And quite frankly, he needs every vote <laughs> from that base he can get. Yeah. I guess we should also point out there is a Republican uh, congressional candidate uh, supported by Kevin McCarthy, who is a at least somewhat of a QAnon follower. Um, so certainly uh, it's been talked about in Republican circles. Matt, the big issue um, around the, uh, the town halls last night, of course, was that NBC at the very last minute scheduled the Trump town hall the very same night, uh, the very same time. Uh, that ABC was holding a town hall previously scheduled uh, after Trump canceled uh, out of the debate uh, with uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Um, NBC's come in under uh, for a lot of criticism for before the, making that decision. Well deserved, in your opinion. I mean, I think that the the knock on NBC here was that by giving them uh, the town hall, giving him the town hall uh, directly up against Biden's town hall, it was effectively rewarding him for blowing up the debate, um, which I, I think is an argument that has uh, some credibility. Uh, on the other hand, I, I think it it's certainly was not a night that went well for the president. Um, I, I agree that uh, Savannah Guthrie's questions were quite good, maybe some of the, the best uh, live television interviewing of the president that we've seen uh, during his presidency. Uh, and I, I just think you saw him not only on, on QAnon, but on the coronavirus, really being forced to uh, answer questions that he didn't want to. Guthrie was extremely good at, at asking simple, factual questions, and when the president tried to run away from them, asking them again and again until it became clear, until he either had to give an answer or uh, it became clear to everyone watching that he was avoiding doing so. So it, it was a very good job. Right. The contrast between uh, the two town halls, the two candidates, the two moderators, uh, could not have been more stark. I thought it was like watching a snooze fest on one or a policy, a wonky policy discussion on one uh, and, and a real lively back and forth and, and, and debate on, on the other. Uh, but uh, Amanda, in the end, did this change anything, do you think? Probably not. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure even if they had debated one-on-one, -on -one, it would have changed anything. Because <laughs> when you looked at the ratings of the last one, they weren't that good. And it was such a train wreck. If I was an undecided voter, I would turn the TV off and walk away. So, you know, I'm not sure that any of this is really moving the dial at this point, despite the fact that, uh, you know, ostensibly in the audiences, they found kind of the last five undecided voters in America. Right. Uh, well, John, let's talk about that, because I checked uh, before we came on this uh, today, this morning, um, what Real Clear Politics is reporting, right? Because um, we can't go through all the polls. But this has been consistent for some time now. Real Clear Politics has Joe Biden up nationwide over Donald Trump by 9.4 percent points. Uh, and just a couple of the battleground states, Real Clear Politics, Biden over Trump, Florida, 2.7, North Carolina, 2.9, Pennsylvania, 6.5, Michigan, 7.2, Minnesota, 6.6. Are we, is Trump running out of time? Uh, is there time to turn this around? What's it look like to you? Yeah, I think he is running out of time. Uh, but, you know, uh, all the polls say that, uh, that Joe Biden should win this thing. Uh, he should win the popular vote nationally. He is he is up by enough, and I'm like you. I go by the real clear averages. I, I do an adjustment on most polls. I I go plus three for Trump and minus three for Biden because, uh, and this is the reason that that I'm huh. certainly not ready to to make a prediction. When you adjust plus minus three for for that shy. Trump voter, and, and this is what happened uh, uh, 
uh, four years ago. Yep. Um, you know, the polls didn't capture folks who were just a little uh, shy um, or a lot shy about saying they supported Donald Trump. I think that voter is still very much out there. They, they don't answer the phone. Um, they, they don't say yes when they're asked certain questions. Um, but, you know, they might tell their family members that they love Trump or they might talk at church that they love Trump, that kind of thing. So when you do the adjustment, um, this race looks a lot different. In fact, it, it starts to look like a dead heat. So it, it starts to look like a dead heat in those six or seven uh, swing states that are going to decide the election. So Trump is running out of time. And I don't think yelling at Savannah Guthrie uh, does much to help him with, with women, college-educated white women, which he's been losing. And uh, especially with seniors, which he's been losing uh, since the day he walked into the White House. So he's running out of time. But oddly, he has enough time because I'm not sure the race is quite at the margin in favor of Vice President Biden uh, as it looks on paper. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I want to come back to you. But while uh, I want to get Amanda's take on uh, his appeal to women, I mean, it was so flat out begging for their support at a rally the other day where he said, please, Women, please, please like me, please like me, please, please, please like me. As if he knows that's his problem, right? Oh, it's absolutely his problem. Although I do agree with um, John that these swing state polls are a lot closer than people, uh, than the way people are talking about the state of this race right now, I guess. A lot of the swing state polls are still within the margin of error, even though Biden is leading. And I do agree that there are shy Trump voters. I do think within the last couple of weeks, when I have circled back to women who I've been talking to, and also there are panels that I have watched of undecided women in swing states done by a wonderful um, never-Trump GOP strategist named Sarah Longwell, um, she said for the first time the other night, all the women on her panel said they were voting for Biden. Because, you know, until this point, the women don't like Trump. They voted for him in 2016. They rate his performance as bad or very bad. Uh, but they still needed to get over that last hump to say, not only do I not like Trump, I'm going to vote for Biden. Um, I think that is starting to happen. I think it had to do with that train wreck of a debate I mentioned earlier. I think it had to do with the president's COVID diagnosis and how that was handled, how that played out. And if he loses more women than he's already lost, because that's who's deciding this election. I mean, women are the only voters, every study show, that are changing their minds. And we're seeing 20-point gender gaps in some mm -hmm. of the states with yeah. women just of, across every demographic group, not just, we're not only talking about college-educated edu white women in the suburbs anymore. It's, it's becoming more broad than that. Yeah. Uh, and so, Matt, perhaps... Um one of the signs that um, even Republicans think the president might not pull this off and might actually bring some of them down uh, is a remarkable recording that was released yesterday by the Washington Examiner of uh, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, who was early on pretty critical of Donald Trump. In fact, I think he said he didn't vote for him in 2016. But then he's mellowed, mellowed a little bit this year when he was running in the primary uh, in Nebraska. He's up, he's up in November. Uh, but now he's swinging back, and he, he uh, had a, town, virtual, uh, a phone conference call town hall with constituents in Nebraska. 17,000 people signed up for it, and he was asked by one constituent, what about your relationship with Donald Trump? Here is just a little bit of Ben Sass's remarkable response. Kids um, are deficient, not just for, for a Republican, but for an American. So the, the way he kisses dictators' butts, it isn't just that he fails to lead our allies, it's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women and spends like a, a drunken sailor, he mocks um, evangelicals behind closed doors. His, his family has treated the presidency like a business opportunity. He's flirted with white supremacists. At the beginning of the COVID crisis, 
crisis. He refused to treat it seriously for months. He treated it like a news cycle by news cycle PR crisis rather than a multi-year public health challenge, which is what it is. Donald Trump didn't win the presidency um, because America actually wants more reality TV, round-the-clock, stupid political obsession. I think the overwhelming reason that President Trump won in 2016 was simply because Hillary Clinton was literally the most unpopular candidate in the history of polling. Uh, so, Matt, I want to point out that, again, was not me speaking. That was Senator Ben Sass, Republican <laughs> from Nebraska. <laughs> what does that tell us? I tell don't you. know. I, I never know what to think of these, like, presume, the, these statements by Republicans beyond behind closed doors about how Trump is actually bad, because in the... Uh, in public, none of that really happens. Um, you see them lining up behind him. Uh, I mean, f f Ben Sass there is, is saying a lot of, of very strong things about President Trump, none of which are enough to get him to uh, not endorse him for re-election. Uh, and so the whole thing is just kind of a weird sham. And I, I really, I just don't know uh, how to process it exactly. Does, does Ben Sass, do you believe, reflect, um, is it more than just Ben Sass that feels this way? Is this maybe a starting to spread among Republican senators, particularly those up for re-election? I think so. I, I think uh, this isn't new. I talked to, back when I was running around on the Hill, I talked to uh, numerous Republican senators uh, off the record, ones who I had gotten to know, and, and there was some trust there. Um, it was frustrating that they wouldn't say things like that on the record or, or, or even on background, but that is, a, that, that is a prevailing way of thinking in the Senate Republican caucus, especially what Senator Sass said about uh, President Trump's spending and, and his, his, his desire to spend. We see that um, at least we think we see that and what the New York Times got a hold of with his uh, his tax documents. And uh, he, he loves to spend. That's why he's going to owe who knows who he owes, actually, $300 million over the next few years. And we're seeing that play out right now. Uh, Senator Sass and others, their frustration with the president on another COVID relief bill. Um, he mm -hmm. now says he wants to go even bigger than Nancy Pelosi, who wants to go pretty darn big. But Senate Republicans uh, they want to go pretty small if they do anything. And uh, I bet that was on Senator Sass's mind right now because the, the president's been all over the place on this uh, this COVID relief bill. And now, you know, he wants to spend more than Nancy Pelosi. And that just frustrates them to no end. And he, at least on paper, he looks like a drag uh, at the ballot box. So uh, there's a lot of frustration there. But but it's been there the entire term. Uh, and we, we've we've seen it come out in, in moments like this. Um, but as but in a second term, as long as he keeps nominating judges, they like, you know, I think we'll see individual episodes like that. But for the most part, they'll bite their tongue and, and try to make the best of it. Uh, by the way, I saw I know, saw a note this morning that it is the one year anniversary today since Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi spoke on the phone or in person one well, year. Happy anniversary, everyone. Uh, yes. Yeah, so the idea uh, that he's been involved in these negotiations with her about stimulus is just not 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 the case. So, um, Amanda, you're out there on the road a lot. Um, uh, as of today, 17 million Americans have already voted. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some reports that more people may vote before November 3rd than actually vote on November 3rd this year. What does it tell us? What's going you on? Know, I don't think we're going to know exactly what that's telling us in terms of impact on the election until it's all over, simply because there's an unprecedented amount of early voting this year, including in places that have never done it before. And who's so, the help? Who's it help? Republicans or Democrats? That's what I, I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, it also, if something does happen, you know, we we're probably you know, there's always what's called the October surprise. I feel like this entire election is a surprise in some ways the past month <laughs> or so. It's just one surprise after another. You know, maybe we'll get one a day, like an advent calendar or something. Um, so it's hard to assess kind of what could change it at this point with so many votes already cast. 
you know, some states start to report kind of breakdowns and start counting the votes. Others don't. It just depends on where you live. Um, Some early returns that I've seen, I think it was out of Georgia, had really interesting splits in terms of uh, party registration and who's voting early and absentee versus waiting until Election Day. It seemed there uh, that Trump supporters were waiting until Election Day. So I don't know if that means that people are holding off, waiting to see if something else happens that might change their mind at the last second. Uh, We're really just going to have to sort this all out once we get those votes in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt, what about the October surprise? Um, Where is it and what is it? It's all around us. The October surprise is that a thousand Americans died of COVID yesterday and that a thousand Americans are going to die from COVID today and a thousand Americans are going to die from COVID tomorrow and that's going to continue up through and past the election. Um, This was all incredibly predictable. Uh, The public health experts have been screaming that uh, the fall flu season was coming and that the virus was going to get worse if we didn't get it under control and the president didn't get it under control. Uh, And now we are in this situation where Americans will continue to die through the election, and that will remain the number one story in America uh, until and well past uh, Election Day. And that is toxic for the president because it was his job to prevent this from happening, and he failed. Uh, And Matt, uh, I want to point out that um, you and I have talked about this before, but back in March, uh, you reported for Media Matters that... uh, the more Donald Trump listened to Fox and repeated what he was hearing on Fox uh, about this not being a serious matter, the more people were going to die. Um, I'm I'm sure you take no pleasure in being correct, but it's worked out. I I do not. I mean, this this was always the nightmare scenario. I have been studying the president's obsession with Fox News uh, throughout his administration and before Um, He watches hours of it a day. It shapes his worldview. He consults with the network's hosts for advice about what the government should do. And the two uh, most dangerous scenarios were uh, a confrontation with a nuclear-armed country and this, a pandemic, uh, a scenario where uh, immense uh, public resources would need to be harnessed and communications to the public about what to do. Uh, And rather than taking advice from uh, experts in public health and epidemiology, uh, the president watches Fox News and takes their advice instead. Uh, I said back in March, this is what was going to happen. If if Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch did not get their hosts under control, uh, they would continue to feed him stories about miracle cures and about how masks are bad uh, and so on and so forth. And that's exactly what happened. Right. Um, a lot of people are dead because right. of it. I want to talk more about coronavirus and its impact on the 2020 election uh, with all of you. But let's take a, a quick break here now on the Bill Press Pod, our roundtable today with Amanda Becker from 19th News, John Bennett from The Independent, and Matt Gertz, Media Matters for America. It's the Bill Press Pod. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's roundtable brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They're the great people who serve us in our big major retail stores uh, like Safeway or Stop and Shop uh, in our chemical plants, distillery plants, cannabis plants and food processing, beef and chicken processing plants all across the country on the front lines in these days of the coronavirus pandemic. We salute them for their good work, staying on the job, fighting the good fight, and for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Matt Gertz joining us from Media Matters for America. On today's roundtable, John Bennett from The Independent, Amanda Becker, a national political reporter for 19th News. So, John, just before the break, Matt was uh, talking about the coronavirus. Uh, do, you, do you agree that it is still going to be uh, either the major or one of the major factors in this 2020 election? I do. I, I think there are a number of major factors going back to the October surprise um, uh, idea. I, I, this is an episode of Monday Night Raw, where, you know, anything's possible at any moment. Uh, it's a television show. I thought this week that one thing uh, Senate Judiciary Democrats failed to do was, you know, they, they put on a hearing, but uh, a confirmation hearing like that for a Supreme Court uh, justice in this day and age is more of a television show. And I, I didn't think that reading four-minute, five-minute long, if you're Senator Hirono, six-minute long blocks of beefy, difficult legal decisions is, is very effective. Um, so because it's a television show, and to Matt's point, because Donald Trump is so tuned in to cable news, especially Fox, he is going to treat this like a television show. Um, he steps on stage at 1.30 to give a speech on uh, protecting America's seniors, of course, as we've discussed already. He's been losing older voters. So, you know, that that is an official event, but it's a campaign event at the same time. Uh, anything's possible. I'm sure he'll talk about COVID, of course. As he said, he's vulnerable like uh, other seniors. He got it. He was pretty sick. Uh, at least one second he says he's pretty sick. And the next second he says as soon as he got uh, powerful drugs that no other American has access to, he felt like Superman. So anything's possible. Yes, COVID's going to be an issue. His handling of it's going to be an issue. But it'll be swept away by the next thing out of his mouth or the next thing he tweets. Yeah. And Amanda, one of the issues, of course, continues to be the, is the question of wearing a mask. The president last night danced all around the mask saying, yeah, he was for him, but then studies show they don't work, which is not true. Uh, people can wear them or not wear them. He does not require them at his rallies. Meantime, on ABC, Joe, Joe Biden uh, was asking, asking about masks by George Stephanopoulos and taking a very strong and just the opposite approach. Here's Vice President Biden. No matter whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, they matter. And when a president doesn't wear a mask or makes fun of folks like me when I was wearing a mask for a long time, then, as you know, people say, well, it mustn't be that important. But when a president says, I think this is very important, for example, I walked in here with this mask, but I have one of the M95 masks underneath it. I think it matters what we say. So there's a long way to go, but we can make progress in the meantime and save lives. So does this penetrate, does this message get out, Amanda? 
Well, you know, there's a gender divide on coronavirus and and precautions, um, as well as this election more broadly. Hmm. Women uh, tend to wear masks and take more precautions than men do. And, you know, I'm sure there's I've heard there's tension. I've heard from people directly. There's tension about this in their own families. You know, they think their husband should be taking more precaution than they are. In a lot of cases, women tell me. Um, And I just have to imagine that especially after having the virus himself not that long ago, of course, they say he's he's better, but we don't see any of the tests or anything in real time, the, the president's test. And he was squishy last night on whether he had gotten a negative result and when ahead of the debate with Joe Biden. So, you know, and then he was at a rally early, earlier this week, and I saw uh, clips of him throwing masks from the stage when he wasn't wearing one, um, kind of like a, you know, who needs this sort of move. Um You know, I don't think that a lot of women, especially these undecided women in the suburbs and the exurbs, are particularly impressed by displays of male bravado and ego in the middle of a pandemic when a lot of them have their kids at home because they can't go back to school. They might be caring for immunocompromised children, immunocompromised parents if they're in the sandwich, Mm -hmm. uh, sandwich generation. They might be older themselves. They might have health issues themselves. And I, I think that this will hurt the president. Yeah. Matt, I want to circle back with John mentioned the Supreme Court hearing uh, uh, this week, uh, which um, was, I don't know, was, it was not that exciting and foreordained, uh, I, I think. Everybody admitted we know what the outcome is going to be. Um, do you see that as a, first of all, as a television show, that the Democrats take advantage of it? And secondly, do you see it having... Uh, whether they vote or not, looks like they will. Any impact on 2020? I mean, I, I think that the, I don't think it's going to shake up 2020 in any real way. And if, frankly, at this point, it's difficult for me to know what would. Um, you know, this has been a, a very, very, very consistent election. You know, for all the twists and turns it has had, the fundamentals have been. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden with a large lead, basically from the beginning, um, and so what? What exactly would make that change is, I, I think, uh, difficult to say. I think it could become a rallying cry for uh, progressives, but progressives are pretty amped up uh, as it is already. Um, you know, on the sort of reality TV show point, uh, I think we're going to have to rewire our brains a little bit if if Joe Biden wins this election, because uh, it, it's not going to be healthy to uh, be constantly looking for antics and Trump level stuff in a <laughs> uh, administration that will be like trying to do basic public policy things and behave responsibly. More to the point, Trump isn't going to go away. He's going to be uh, watching Fox News and tweeting about what he sees and going on that network to say crazy stuff. And if the press spends all its time focused on that instead of what is actually happening uh, in a Biden administration, I think they will be doing a major disservice to their audiences uh, in order to get, uh, you know, to 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 have more fun with the, the mm-hmm. crazier uh, stories, and so I, I think that that's a real uh, a real pitfall that uh, journalists could be walking into uh, in a Biden administration. All right, we note we note your warning, um, John. One <laughs> of the that reminds me of one of the moments in the Trump NBC town hall that. I found um, really fascinating and hasn't gotten much attention was, and I forget it was some crazy thing that uh, Savannah Guthrie asked the president about why did you tweet this? And the president said, oh, that was just a retweet. Hmm. And she said, yeah, but you're the president of the United States. Right. You're not some crazy, some guy's crazy uncle who just could retweet anything he wants. Why? <laughs> what?" What what do you see about what is this passion of retweeting something that is totally bogus nonsense crazy? 
And he does well, it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, a lot of folks think that that Trump acts on impulse, and and I think that's true a lot of the time. But there is a calculated aspect to to just about everything he does. Um, mm-hmm. And he's acknowledged that he's acknowledged one day uh, at one of these call in interviews that it's the retweets that get you in trouble. It's, he said something uh, along those lines, mm-hmm. and the next morning. He's retweeting things that easily could have gotten him in trouble. So he he knows it's a risk, and he continues to do it. Um, it's a way to signal to, especially that the farthest far right part of his base, that that he's one of them, or or he hears them, or that that he's there for them, um, and he I think he sees a lot of plausible deniability in that statement. Uh, that it's just a retweet, that it's an interesting idea that I thought I would share, but I don't necessarily agree with it 100%. That's vintage Trump because he also says things at rallies and in and, and these interviews, you know, some a lot of people are saying or some people are saying, and I think it's along those lines. So it, it, in his mind, at least, it gives him that plausible deniability. But, you know, I know what I'm doing when I hit the retweet button. Um, but, you know, it's just another one of these things that, that the guy seems to get away with because, as Matt and Amanda have both said, the race has been so steady, his numbers don't move all that much, and there's just this sense that he gets away with stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, and I think we could all agree that if you retweet something, you're basically endorsing it, right? You're putting your your name behind that tweet. You're certainly not denouncing it. Yeah, right. Um, So finally, we had this week something... So reminiscent of 2016 happened. Um, Amanda, we have a case um, in the New York Post of emails found, emails that prove there's a big conspiracy. In this case, not Hillary Clinton, but Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Ukraine all over again. Um, should we pay, should we be paying any attention to this, or this is this obvious Russian propaganda? You know, I would, as from a voter's perspective, no, I would not be paying attention to that story. To me, as a journalist, what really struck me about this is, was Twitter's decision to censor it and block links to that story. Yeah. While ever there has been pressure on social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, um, all of them, to deal with disinformation, um, I think that censoring content from an ostensibly um, actual news organization, a, a, you know, and a real news story is a very slippery slope. I don't think they have been very transparent, Twitter, about how they plan to approach this. It, to my knowledge, the first time they've done it with a news story, and um, I'm very interested to see what happens with this um, going forward? Because I just, that's a road I'm very uncomfortable going down. How do you read it, Matt? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that they've already walked it back to some extent. Um, they, they the out, New York Post? Twitter, no, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Okay. On, on, on the, on the, uh, the Twitter front part of it, uh, Twitter put out uh, some, uh, some statements uh, last night basically saying that this was an overzealous approach and that they were, go- were going to move in a direction of uh, adding information to uh, tweets rather than keeping uh, links like that from circulating altogether, which I, I think is to the good. Um, I mean, I think the underlying story here from the New York Post is is not terribly interesting. Uh, it, it attempts to make the same connection between Joe Biden and the firing of a, a Ukrainian prosecutor, uh, and, and again tries to make that a story about Joe Biden uh, trying to help Hunter Biden's business interests. We know that that isn't true from when this story came up last year, and so the rest of it is is just sort of filler. Um, you know, obviously, there's an interesting story about where these emails came from. The, <laughs> uh, the the provenance appears to be 
Uh, the, the, the story that, that we're getting is that the provenance is Hunter Biden leaving his laptop at a Delaware computer repair store, the owner eventually looking at the emails, calling the FBI, making a copy of uh, the computer, and then later providing it to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, and Rudy Giuliani then providing some of the emails to the New York Post, uh, which is all incredibly sketchy. Um, then, of course, there's the secondary layer, which is that uh, Russian intelligence services who uh, hacked Democratic uh, organizations in 2016 appear to have hacked uh, the Ukrainian company that uh, Hunter Biden was working for earlier this year, uh, and that Rudy Giuliani has been working with someone who has been sanctioned by the Treasury Department as an active Russian agent in order to produce disinformation about Joe Biden to help Donald Trump's re-election campaign. So that doesn't look great either. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I, don't, I don't think this will upset the fundamentals of the election in any real way. Um, I, I think that they, it's just not going anywhere, uh, yeah. and we won't be talking about it in a couple of days. Uh, and I just want to point out, John, uh, before you comment, uh, headline in this morning's New York Times, White House was warned Giuliani was conveying Russian disinformation uh, that was apparently reported to the White House by the National Security Advisor, Robert C. O'Brien, back in last December. Yeah, not surprising. Uh, the same story, I believe, says that President Trump kind of shrugged that off when uh, when O'Brien told him that. So, again, it goes back to uh, the president believes that that, you know, he, he throws elbows. He plays he plays rough. Sometimes he plays dirty. And this is an uh, an example of playing dirty. And, you know, he Rudy, you know, he's got this weird relationship with Rudy. If he's asked about Rudy, um he won't even say clearly that Rudy is is one of his lawyers. So he lets Rudy go out here and, and say all these things because he thinks it'll help him usually with the base. So, you know, it's all about the base. We keep coming back to that. Yeah. And for whatever reason, you know, Trump's fine with Rudy saying all kinds of things. I mean, Rudy said all kinds of things the last four years. And and he's invited to, to White House events and, and he's by the president's side. So... You know, I, I would expect four more years of that if, if Trump finds a way to, to win in a couple of weeks. Uh, and of course, Rudy Giuliani is dealing with another problem uh, today, which is that his daughter uh, has come out, Caroline, his daughter has come out and endorsed Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. <laughs> so mm. family feud there among the, in the Giuliani household. Uh, great panel, uh, John Bennett, Matt Gertz, Amanda Becker. But before we let you go, um, two things. One, we want to find out I uh, want you to tell us how people can follow you when you're not here on the Bill Press Pod. But also, I want to hear your favorite story of the week. There must have been something along the way, political or not, something we've talked about or not, uh, that caught your attention. Uh, Amanda, you want to lead us off your favorite story of the week? Sure. Um, you know, for the first time ever, I think I'm going to do one of my own stories because okay. there are so many. Oh, and I can tell you one in the New Yorker about the same race that was yesterday that ran yesterday because mine was a few days ago. Um, uh, they're both about the main Senate race. I think uh -huh. that I think that there's such interesting Senate races happening right now that are not getting a lot of attention because Trump sucks the air out of everything always. Um, you see a lot of these competitive races um, tightening in, in some cases, getting even more competitive. Democrats that we didn't think had a chance um, mm -hmm. are now polling even or even pulling ahead. Um, and so I think that's really an under uh, kind of an under talked about story that's happening right now, because the control of the Senate, I think, I, you know, either way the White House goes is going to be really critical and make a huge difference. And so I would say some of these Senate stories, and if you can do us something to watch, I would say there was a pretty lit Iowa Senate debate last night happening at the same time as the town halls um, that, you know, uh, really uh, Senator Joni Ernst kind of stepped in it a little bit. They asked her, and she's being challenged <laughs> by Teresa Greenfield, um, 
They asked them both what the break-even price was on key Iowa crops. And Greenfield went went first and got corn and got it immediately. (laughs) And then they moved to Joni, and she was asked about soybeans, and she could not answer. And in an Iowa Senate debate, that is a pretty big moment. (laughs) <laughs> indeed, indeed, it is. Uh, uh, someone called it the most Midwestern moment of any Senate debate uh, ever. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Matt, how about you? Well, as regular listeners of this podcast know, I always use this opportunity to talk about my favorite uh, media conspiracy theory, which is that the Democratic Socialists of America have infiltrated the real estate sections of the New York Times and the Wall Street (laughs) Journal and are using their coverage of the uber wealthy to bring about the revolution. Uh, Today's entry is titled, is from the New York Times real estate section, it is titled, The Island Brokers Are Overwhelmed. The wealthy want to escape the pandemic to a private, isolated paradise. The people who sell islands have to explain it's complicated. Apparently, the, the <laughs> coronavirus pandemic has led to a lot of extremely wealthy people to try to buy islands. Uh, and the private island brokers uh, are swamped with all of the different uh, requests. Uh, the, the article points out, before the pandemic, an island was typically a vanity purchase that a wealthy client, usually male, would pursue sometime after retirement, brokers said. <laughs> the island bug would usually strike a few years after the novelty of other luxury purchases had worn thin. Quote, you have your yacht, your jet, now you want your island, said John Christie, the president of Christie's International Real Estate. Uh, yeah, so it's rough out there for uh, all sorts of <laughs> Americans during the pandemic. You know, you've got uh, the folks uh, whose unemployment benefits are running out. You've got the people uh, who are, you know, trying to avoid getting evicted, and then you have the the, the poor uh, folks who just need more information about, about how to buy uh, an island to uh, hunker down in until uh, we get a vaccine. Uh, I'll have to check the next Christie's catalog to see what islands may still be available. <laughs> uh, John Bennett, top that. <laughs> I don't know if I can, but uh, I will say uh, I, I certainly want my own island for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I will also stay on brand. Bill, you know I like to use this uh, to talk about something other than politics, to talk about sports. And I was amazed on Sunday as I sat right here and watched uh, the Washington football team uh, trot out one Alex Smith to play quarterback uh, just two years after he had just a very gruesome compound fracture in in one of his legs and uh, thought he would never play again, even at, I think, 37 or 38. And he had this amazing rehab and recovery and uh, a month or so ago was activated for all football activities. And after being carted off on the same field, he had to come in uh, in, in, in backup duty for the backup who was starting because of this dysfunctional franchise benching their young quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, for the backup quarterback, Kyle Allen, brought in by their latest head coach, uh, Riverboat Ron Rivera. And all of this played out in typical, and I'm going to use the word Redskins fashion because the dysfunction is, is linked to that, to that now former name. But it was just, and then we're trying to watch, at, watch, watching Alex Smith try to play quarterback against these huge athletes who were chasing him around and just grimacing on my couch as 300-pound defensive linemen were literally jumping on his back, all of that weight on that that repaired and we hope healed leg. The fact that they let Alex Smith go out there and play quarterback, I thought said a lot about a franchise. And Bill, I did some research last night while we were waiting on the town Uh halls. A franchise that since I moved here in 2002 has had, and I hope you're sitting down, 20 starting quarterbacks and seven head coaches. That is is your stat of the week. And that is, those numbers just just embody the complete dysfunction that this football uh, franchise has become under Dan Snyder. And who knows, Bill, you may play quarterback 
on Sunday. <laughs> I'm suited up and ready to go, and ready to, ready to go. Well, I must admit, for my favorite story of the week, and I don't hold this against you, uh, Amanda, but my favorite story of the week also was that Senate debate last night <laughs> in Iowa uh, between Teresa Greenfield and and Joni Erst. I was just struck, and it takes me back the first time I ever went to Iowa. Uh, as a journalist, to cover the uh, straw poll in Ames, Iowa, years ago. And I got a rental car at the airport, and I'm driving out to Ames from Des Moines, and I'm hearing them talk about the price of sow bellies and soybeans and corn. And I thought, this is really, this really happens. This is what Iowa is all about. And, And last night, to see Teresa Greenfield, who was asked about the price of corn, and she nailed it. And Joni Ernst, who grew up in a farm, uh, was way off on the price of soybeans. She said it was five fifty, whatever per pound or whatever liter, whatever that the measurement is, and the actual price is ten dollars and five cents. She probably lost the her bid for re-election at that very moment. Um, I really that- agree. I think if she does lose and. Greenfield has closed the gap. People will look to that moment. And I thought it was such an interesting moment because a lot of these Senate races have kind of all gone national this year. And that was really taking it back to to being a typical local state race there in Iowa. Yep. So soybeans wins the night for, (laughs) for Teresa Greenfield. Amanda, how can people follow you on 19th News? On Twitter? Um, It's just at Amanda Becker. At Amanda Becker. How about you, Matt? At Matt Gertz. Oh, all right. John Bennett. Uh, at Bennett John T. That's two N's and two T's. All right. You got it. Hey, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, John. And also for all of you listening, we have a very special treat for you. We talked earlier about uh, Senator Ben Sass and his very candid, uh, he thought behind the door remarks, which are now public remarks, uh, to a group of constituents on a conference call. Uh, We're going to play now the entire nine minutes of Ben Sass. So you can just see what a Republican senator really does think about Donald Trump behind closed doors, and you bet he is not the only one. I think, like a lot of Nebraskans, I'm trying to understand your relationship with the president. Um, Why do you have to criticize him so much? Uh, Sure. So uh, that is a very fair question. And I guess I kind of think about it like this. Um, I think we should distinguish between policy agreement and policy disagreement, and then also long-term political implications as well. So I've worked hard uh, to develop a good working relationship with the president over the last three and a half years. I obviously campaigned for a lot of other people in the 2016 cycle, Um, but Donald Trump is our president now, so I've worked hard to develop a good relationship with him. He's got a hard job, and we're called to pray for our leaders, so that's what we do regularly at the breakfast table at our house is we pray for the president um, and, and the first lady and for Vice President Pence in their callings. Um, And there are obviously a number of issue areas where President Trump and I have policy alignment now, or maybe a better way to put it is where the president has now adopted traditionally Republican positions um, that he used to reject for the majority of his life when he was funding Democratic candidates. So, um, for example, one of the places where he's changed, as we were just mentioning uh, to the last questioner, is I think he's nominated truly great judges, and I've worked with him on that. In fact, I, I went on the Judiciary Committee after he was elected. Um, explicitly to advocate for the kind of originalists and constitutionalists uh, that he had put on his list and that he had agreed to nominate. I'm the first Nebraskan on the Judiciary Committee in, uh, I think, 46 years. I'm 48 years old, and I'm the first Nebraskan on the committee since the mid-'70s. So there are definitely places where we agree. But, uh, as your question uh, says, there are obviously a lot of places where he and I differ as well. Um, and these aren't just mere policy issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not at all apologetic for having fought for my values against his in places where I think his um, are deficient, not just for, for a Republican, but for an American. So the, the way he kisses dictators' butts, I mean, the way he um, ignores that the Uyghurs are in literal concentration camps in Xinjiang right now. He hasn't lifted a a finger on behalf of the Hong Kongers. I mean, he and I have a very different foreign policy. It isn't just that he fails to lead our allies, it's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women and spends like a a drunken sailor, the ways I criticize President Obama for that kind of spending, I've criticized President Trump for as well. He mocks 
um, evangelicals behind closed doors. His, his family has treated the presidency like a business opportunity. He's flirted with white supremacists. I mean, the, the places where we differed on COVID, he, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, he refused to treat it seriously for months. He treated it like a news cycle by news cycle PR crisis rather than a multi-year public health challenge, which is what it is. And now, I mean, in his partial defense here, I think that lots of the news media has pretended that COVID is literally the, the first public health crisis ever, and somehow it's Donald Trump's fault. That's not true. They just wanted to use it against him. Um, but the reality is that he careened from curb to curb. First, he ignored COVID, and, and then he went into full economic shutdown mode. Um, he, he was the one who said 10 to 14 days of shutdown would fix this, and that was always wrong. I mean, and so I, I don't think the way he's led through COVID has been reasonable or responsible uh, or right. And so these are these are some of the important policy or, or sort of leadership places where we differed, stuff, stuff we don't see eye to eye on. And I think that it's my duty to level with Nebraskans even though I recognize that a lot of our voters in Nebraska uh, are, are Trumpier than I am, and they sometimes get frustrated with me. Um, but I also think voters have have told me the most common thing I hear uh, from Nebraskans is they have a very mixed perspective on the president. They think he does some stuff well, and they think he does some stuff poorly. And the truth of the matter is, I think he's done some stuff well and some poorly. And so I've been honest about that. Um, but those are those are kind of policy and leadership issues. I think it's also worth, for those of us who, who care about the party of Lincoln and Reagan, we should distinguish between policy and politics, because my dissents um, from President Trump are not only about policy, but it's also a prudential question or a political question about whether or not he's ultimately driving the country further to the left, because that's what I think is ultimately going to happen because of Donald Trump. This has been my fear um, for five years. It's why I campaigned for everybody not named Trump in, in 2016. And that is because I think folks have, have regularly misunderstood the meaning of 2016. Donald Trump didn't win the presidency um, because America actually wants more reality TV, round-the-clock, stupid political obsessions. I, I just don't think that that's what my neighbors want. It's not what I hear when I travel the state. I've spent lots of the, of the last year um, on a campaign bus. And when you listen to Nebraskans, they don't really want more rage tweeting um, as a new form of entertainment. I think the overwhelming reason that President Trump won in 2016 was simply because Hillary Clinton was literally the most unpopular candidate in the history of polling. Uh, we've, we've had polls going back uh, about 85 years, and Hillary Clinton is by far the worst presidential candidate America has ever had general election presidential candidate. And I think that's why President Trump won, not because he laid out a constructive vision of the country that Americans united around. And so I, I think it's always been imprudent for my party, again, as I, as I mentioned, calling it the, the party of Lincoln and Reagan. Those are the heights of American history. It has always been imprudent for our party um, to try to tie itself to a Trumpian brand. And that's what I've been worried about for five years. And so for, for months, as I've been campaigning, uh, over the end of 2019 and all of 2020 again, I've been straight with Nebraskans that I'm worried that if President Trump loses, as looks likely, um, that he's going to take the Senate down with him. And if conservatives lose the Senate, here's what progressives are going to try to do. They're, they're going to fracture the, the deliberative structure of the Senate. That's what blowing up the filibuster means. And that's the whole ballgame. They're going to add states. They're going to pack the Supreme Court. And that puts religious liberty in the broader First Amendment at risk. And that's the heart of who we are as Americans, is people who understand that government doesn't give us our rights. God gives us our rights via nature, and government is just our shared project to secure those things. And Donald Trump doesn't steward that. He doesn't do storytelling to the next generation. And now Senate Democrats if they get to a supermajority that they can end the filibuster, I'm worried um, that some of the most you know, terrible nuttiness that we see happening on campus will get imported into our jurisprudence. And that's, that would be a terrible remaking of America. And so from, from where I sit as one of the most conservative guys in the U.S. Senate, I'm now looking at the possibility of a, of a Republican bloodbath in the Senate. And that's why I've never been on the Trump train. It's why I didn't um, agree to serve on his reelection committee. And it's why I'm not campaigning for him because I spend all my time um, thinking about the one political question that's most central next month, which is holding the U.S. Senate. If if we don't, I'll, I'll pull up and get back to questions here, Tyler. But I, I just think if we don't um, 
retain the Senate, there's a very good chance that 10 years from now we're going to have a Venezuela-like, you know, dozens of members of the Supreme Court. You can imagine 30, 40 people on the Supreme Court at some point. And when, when all of our allies in the Pacific have sided with China because Trump's isolationism was so weak um, that our allies began to doubt for the first time since World War II whether they could trust in U.S. strength and U.S. will and U.S. courage and U.S. virtue and values. If young people become permanent Democrats because they've just been repulsed um, by the, the obsessive nature of our politics, or if, if women who, who were willing to still vote with the Republican Party on 2016 um, decide that they need to turn away from this party permanently in the future, the debate is not going to be, you know, Ben's asked, why were you so mean to Donald Trump? It's going to be, what the heck were any of us thinking um, that selling a TV-obsessed, narcissistic individual to the American people was a good idea? It is not a good idea. I think we are, we are staring down the barrel of a blue tsunami, and we've got to hold the Senate, and so that's what I'm focused on. I'm not, I'm not focused on Donald Trump. I think the media has done a terrible job of making us all believe that the presidency is always the most important thing for people to talk about. First of all, politics shouldn't be the center of our, our conversation or our life or our culture or our economics, but even inside politics, the presidency shouldn't be the center of that. And I think that Donald Trump and the media are united in wanting to make him the center of every conversation. And I think overwhelmingly the most important political issue we face right now is whether or not Republicans can retain it. And so that's what I'm spending my, my time and energy on. Thanks for, for your question. Tyler, who's, who's next? And with that little uh, uh, very uh, revealing moment from Ben Sass, we thank you for joining us on today's roundtable. Thanks also to our panelists, Amanda Becker, John Bennett, and Matt Gertz. Thank you all for listening, for joining us for the roundtable. Be strong, be safe, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.